Just want to reiterate a couple things that uh, Renee was mentioning there. If you get a chance after the service, check out the ministries to the left. Angel Tree and Christmas Meals, a tangible way to show the love of Jesus to maybe families within the body or within the community this year. Take a look at that. And also, as you mentioned, the sign-up sheet. Um, once again, as Renee mentioned, we figured out we have people coming from eight different counties, and it's really tough sometimes to make these calls. Uh, it may be fine here, and it may be rough in Wauseon, or it may be rough over in Wauseon, or something like that. And it's so difficult. We have such a geographical area to cover to be able to make those decisions. Uh, the way it kind of works, and we'll just share this with you so that way you can keep it in prayer, is the first service, the pre- praise team actually starts worshiping and practicing out here at about 7.30 in the morning. And so what happens is they leave their house around 7. So we try to make the call by 7 a.m. Richard heads out sometimes 6, 6.30 in the morning and starts driving the roads to see if it's passable and acceptable. And we have to make that call by 7 before the worship team comes out. So that what makes it difficult. So we'd really appreciate prayer for wisdom. Obviously, we want to do everything we can to have church. Sometimes the weather and elements keep us from doing that. So keep that in prayer, and like Renee said as well, too, it didn't work out last year with the TV stations and radio like it had in years past. We needed to change the format. It will be on the website. It will be on the Facebook page. If that's not something you check, you can sign up for the phone call. You can sign up for the text alert. And just keep those in prayer those days just that we have wisdom to make the right decision there as well. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 28 and verse 17, and we're finishing our study in the book of Acts. I checked it this morning before I came out here. We started Acts November 10th of 2013. So it took us a little over a year to finish the book of Acts. And sometimes you people mock me for taking too long to get through. I just want to let you know we're finishing Acts on November 30th, which puts us in perfect scenario to start some messages during the Christmas season. And I just want to let you know, I planned this all the way back from November of 2013. So for those that doubt me, shame on you. Acts 28, we're going to be starting in verse 17, a little bit of a recap here. Uh, As we've been studying the last few weeks, Paul is getting to Rome to stand trial. Many, many chapters ago, Paul went into the temple. The Jews accused him of defiling the temple. Paul said that wasn't true. The Roman soldiers came, arrested Paul, and said, we need to figure this out. Paul couldn't get a fair trial in Jerusalem because the Jews were against him. So he had to go to Caesarea. He then waited for a trial in Caesarea for two years. It didn't work out. He then appealed to Rome. Acts 27, he took the ship to Rome as he's traveling there for his appeal case. There was a shipwreck, and as we mentioned last week, he shipwrecked on the island Malta. Finally today, he gets to Rome. Finally, after years, he's now in Rome, and he gets an opportunity to do a couple things. He's going to have his court case, finally, but also, more importantly, he gets a chance to minister to the believers at Rome. That's what you really see. This has been his heart's desire. God promised way back in Acts chapter 23, Paul, you will go to Rome. So through beatings and scourgings and shipwrecks, he got to Rome. God kept his promise. So now that he's in Rome, let's see how he ministers. Verse 17, it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to the men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who have come reported or spoken evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere." 
Paul calls together the leadership of the, of the Jews at this time in Rome, and he says, let me tell you why I'm here. Paul, I think, was making the assumption that this word would have spread to Rome, that Paul was somebody that the Jewish leaders need to be worried about and accused of. So he says, basically, I'm here not because I'm attacking Jerusalem or Judaism or anything on that line. I'm here for the hope. I love this. Verse 20, the hope of Israel. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this change. The hope of Israel would be Jesus. So basically, the Jewish leader's response is, we have not really heard anything of this. We don't know what's going on. But this is what's fascinating. Verse 22, this idea of Christianity. But we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, Christianity, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So the Jewish leaders say, we want to know about you. We want to know about what this Christianity is. What an open door. Here he is in Rome, expecting trial, expecting hardship, expecting confrontation. And instead the Jewish leadership says, can we talk to you about what this sect is, what this Christianity is? Boy, I tell you, the Lord opens doors sometimes. But look what it says one more time in verse 22. It is spoken against everywhere. Do you realize that hasn't changed in 2,000 years? This idea of what we believe as Christians is spoken against everywhere. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when they say all type of evil against you for my name's sake. You're blessed because of that. Go with me to 1 Peter 4. One more passage on this. 1 Peter 4. Why is Christianity so attacked? You know, why is it that the world can't stand the beliefs that we stand for? Think about this for a second. When you claim to be a Christian and you publicly confess Christ, what you're basically saying is you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. So when you say that you believe Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, you are immediately just offended about three four billion people. Three-fourths of the world are bothered by that. Because when I say that I'm a Christian, and I believe that Christ is the only way to get to heaven, that means I believe the Hindus are wrong, that means I believe the Muslims are wrong, that means I believe the atheists are wrong, I believe the agnostics are wrong, etc. So when I make that public stance, I'm offending a whole lot of people. And so therefore they respond, they revile, they persecute, they attack. And what Jesus is trying to tell us back in Matthew 5, when that happens, instead of looking at it as being defeated, look at it as actually a blessing. Because you get to suffer like Christ suffered. That's one of the few things that we ever get to have the same thing that Jesus went through, we go through. Look here at 1 Peter 4. He builds on this. Verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Believers, don't think it's strange when your beliefs are attacked. When you go into work today or tomorrow or to school or to family get-togethers and you take a stand for the Lord, do not think it's strange when you are ostracized and picked on and ridiculed and mocked. Don't. The world doesn't like the stance we take on moral issues. It doesn't like the stance of the Bible on certain issues of heaven and hell, etc. Don't think it's strange. What are we supposed to do? Verse 13, rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Rejoice, because as Christ was honored for suffering, we will be honored for suffering as well. Verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. So if you are reproached, if you are reviled, or if you are insulted for the name of the Lord... You're blessed. You're blessed for that. 
And we need to remember this, that when we decide to take a stand, there will be opposition. There will be. And as believers, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready for this. As we mentioned last week in Ephesians 6, that's why there's armor, because it's a war. It's a battle. And we need to be prepared for this. So when I look at that passage and it says that everybody is speaking against this sect everywhere, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. As a believer, be prepared for that, be ready for that, and this is what Paul is going through. So now, back to Acts chapter 28. Paul gets a chance to share. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So Paul gets them together. What a great opportunity here. Verse 23, there's this day the Jewish leadership comes together, and Paul gets to talk to them all day about the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity. And what does he do? Verse 23, he explains, he testifies, and he persuades. He explains, he testifies, and he persuades. Depending on your translation, it may not say explain, it may say expound, it may say witness. Testifies, and then he persuades. Some of your translations say convince. Those three elements are what we're supposed to do. Explain, testify, persuade. Let's talk about each one. Somebody comes to me with a Bible question. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did it have to be him? It is my responsibility to be able to explain the scriptures to them of why. So that's the first one, explain. Next one, testify. Somebody comes to me and says, well, what has God done for you? Let me testify to you of what the Lord has done in my life. The last one, persuade, convince. Let me tell you now why you need a relationship with Christ. All three elements will be used at different times. There will be times where you're asked to explain Bible verses... And not to testify, and not to persuade. There'll be times where you'll be asked to persuade, but not explain. There'll be times where you're asked to testify, but not explain or persuade. You need to be prepared to do all three. That's why it's so important for us as believers to know the Scriptures, explain the Scriptures, to know what God has done for us personally, to testify, and then be able to have a heart to say, I want you to know Christ, persuade, by sharing the Gospel with them. Now, how does this happen? It happens through, verse 23, the law of Moses and the prophets. That's what he used. The law of Moses and the prophets. And the same thing happens to us today. God's word is what we're supposed to use to get their attention. That's the weapon of choice that the Lord has given us. And I was thinking about the power of this, of the law of Moses and the prophets. And and I wrote down four verses I just want to share with you real quick on what does God's word do. Four verses. First one, if you're taking notes, Hebrews 4.12, and most of these you probably already know, Hebrews 4.12 First thing the Word of God does is it cuts. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word cuts to exactly what you need to hear at the exact time. It cuts right to the heart. My words will fall flat. My words will fall empty. God's Word cuts. i got a great example of this. Friday, I was having a little bit of woe is me moment, and I really didn't have a lot of joy. So I was standing in my kitchen at home, just kind of thinking about stuff, things that are going on, and just kind of having this little, like I said, pity party. And my Bible was sitting there on the counter. And I tell people all the time, don't do this. Don't just flip your Bible open and read some random passage and say, Lord, that's obviously what you wanted me to read. I'm not a fan of that. To me, that's like going to your cupboard and saying, I'm hungry. You close your eyes and you open the cupboard, you stick your hand in, and whatever you grab, you eat. 
What happens if you grab the pepper shaker? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. I believe you need to have a planned way to study through the Bible. So I broke my own rule. I sat there on my kitchen counter. I just flipped the Bible open, and I said, Lord, I, you know, what am I going to do here? Flipped it open to Psalm 35, verse 9. Psalm 35, verse 9. What does it say? My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. So I closed the Bible and slammed it down and walked away. Um, that, that verse cut. Cut right to the heart. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Exactly what I needed to hear. Be in God's word. It cuts to the heart. Use God's word when you witness and share because it cuts to the heart. Next one. What does God's word do? It builds our faith. Romans 10, 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. When I'm in the word of God, it grows my faith, and as my faith grows, I desire more of the word of God. It's this great cycle that just keeps repeating itself. I read, I study, I like, I learn, I grow, I want to do more. It grows. Next one, Luke 24, 32. Jesus was speaking to some of the disciples, and they said this, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? God's word creates a passion. For him, to burn more for him. And lastly, what does God's word do? It's purposeful. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, it shall accomplish what I please, it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. God's word is purposeful. So the first one, God's word's cut, Hebrews 4, 12. Romans 10, 17, God's word grows my faith. The third one, it creates a passion, Luke 24, 32. And the last one, Isaiah 55, 11, it's purposeful. Now, here's the catch. Most of you already know this stuff. Most of you have already heard these verses. Most of you already know you're supposed to be doing this. So let's flip it around. Let's do a 180. Let's talk about what happens if you're not in God's word. Okay, let's take Hebrews 4, 12. God's word cuts. So if I'm not in the word of God, what does that mean? I don't have that cutting going on in my heart. You know what that means? Eventually, when I'm not in the Word of God and God's Word's not cutting into my life, I find myself going backwards in my walk instead of forwards. I find myself saying things that I normally wouldn't say. I find myself reacting to people the way I normally wouldn't react. I'm snapping at my kids. I'm snapping at my wife. I find myself watching things, doing things that I normally wouldn't because when I do not allow the Word of God to be a surgeon in my heart, to cut to my heart, I allow things to come in. So when I'm not in God's word, I take away the ability of the word of God to cut into my life to convict me of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and I start doing things I shouldn't do. What about the next one? Faith. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. When I'm not in God's word, my faith starts going out the window. It's not that I quit believing in God. It's not that I quit believing in Jesus. I become what I call the why, what if Christian. My faith starts to dissipate. So why why does it matter? I mean, seriously, what's happening here? This world's falling apart. Everything's falling apart. Why does it matter? What what good does it do? What if I read the Bible? What if I don't read the Bible? What if I go to church? What if I don't go to church? What difference does it make? Your faith starts disappearing because you're not in God's Word to build your faith, to realize what the Lord has done in many people's lives, generations before you, so your faith starts to disappear. Next one, God's Word creates a passion. Well, if I'm not in God's word, what does that mean? My heart no longer burns for him. So the passion for for God starts to disappear. I mean, I still love him. I still show up to church, but I'm not passionate about it. I'm not excited about seeing the gospel spread. I'm not excited about seeing what the Lord's going to do in my family. I'm not excited about how the Lord is going to move. I mean, I love him. I mean, I love the Lord, but I'm just here. As we mentioned many times before, there's a lot of people that come to church 
they don't really come to church. They're here, but they're not here. God's Word creates a passion. So when you do not have that time in your life, guess what? Your heart doesn't burn for the Lord like it used to. And the last one, God's Word is purposeful, Isaiah 55, 11. So if I'm not in God's Word, guess what happens? I lose the purpose in my life. Once again, I still love Him, I still believe in Him, and all that other type of stuff, but my life becomes get up, go to work, come home, repent, repeat. Get up, go to work, come home, repeat. You know, just, it's just this life. And so what happens when I see these believers that are on fire for the Lord, purposeful in their walk with the Lord, their faith is growing, I don't really want to be around them. It convicts me, makes me feel bad. I just want to be in my little turtle shell of Christianity. We know the blessing of being in God's Word. It cuts, it grows your faith, it creates a passion for Him, and it gives you purpose. Flip it around, though. When you take God's Word out of your life, you don't have the conviction of the Spirit. Your faith starts to falter. Your heart is no longer burning for the Lord. You're just an image of what you used to be, and you no longer have that purpose in life. So what do you do? No, you get into God's Word. You know, isn't it beautiful that tomorrow is December 1st, which just happens to be the day that the new Our Daily Bread starts? So there's new Our Daily Breads back under the table. So if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, he's right, I need to get back into the Word. How about you grab one of those new Our Daily Breads? It's a great devotional. Take that home and read that. Now, the way I look at the Our Daily Breads, I'm a big fan of Our Daily Breads. I love them. But I look at it as almost having that granola bar for breakfast. You can go deeper. You can go more. It's a great start. But there are more that you could do. So what's that you want a little bit more? What do you do? Well, you know what? Did I mention to you earlier? December 1st starts tomorrow. So December 1st starts tomorrow. And December just happens to have 31 days, right? Do you know how many chapters there are in the book of Proverbs? 31. Why not read one chapter of Proverbs every day for devotions? There's so many different elements that you can do. But here's the thing. Go back to our study in Acts 28, verse 24. Some were persuaded by these things which are spoken, and some disbelieved. Some of you will hear me and say, I have changes that need to be made. I will do this. I will grab the Our Daily Bread. I will start reading Proverbs. I will do this. Some of you are going to walk out of here and change absolutely nothing. Same thing happens anytime you present the gospel. Some hear, some don't. Do you catch this? I'm assuming that Paul gave an amazing message. I'm assuming the Holy Spirit was upon him from morning till evening. He explained the scriptures. He testified. He witnessed. And some people still didn't believe. So that means Paul obviously failed, right? No. It means they chose not to accept. See, this is the problem. We think if we give the perfect scripture, the perfect altar call, the perfect worship and message, people will get saved. No. Some people still choose to reject. You can't base success You can't base success on how people respond. Because if that's the case, Jesus' ministry was a complete, utter failure. Because by the time he went to the cross, he had nothing. Nothing. How many times did you see Jesus in the New Testament give a great message, a great altar call, and they still reject it? Now, from a fleshly standpoint, you can say, well, I'm human, I must have messed something up. Not from Christ's perspective. Christ shows me that you can do everything right and some people will still choose to reject. What do you do with that? You realize it's a personal choice that they are making in their own lives. That's between them and the Lord. Does it hurt? You bet it hurts, especially if it's a loved one. 
You pray for them. You fast for them. You witness to them. But ultimately, their heart has to choose, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? I don't know how many times I do this at home with the boys. I see them doing something they shouldn't do, and my first thought is, I need to tell them more scripture. I need to sit them down and tell them one more time, you don't chase people with knives. i got to tell them one more time. They already know that. They're just choosing not to listen. Well, I guess I need to make them memorize more. I need to, No, they know it. They need to learn to live it. I mean, that's the thing. I don't need anybody to come tell me I don't have to rob a bank. I know it's wrong. I don't need anybody to come tell me, hey, don't look after other women to lust. I already know it's wrong. Don't tell me that. Nobody needs to come tell me, hey, watch your tongue. I already know that. I need to choose to do it. I need to choose to live it. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Paul did his responsibility of presenting truth. Some were persuaded, verse 24, some disbelieved. Jesus did his responsibility of presenting truth. Some rejected it. There's nothing you can do about that. You pray for them, you fast for them, but you trust that they are going to have to, in their own walk with the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, choose to do what's right. Don't throw too much on your shoulders there. So, what happens when they don't agree? Verse 25, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophets to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will not hear, excuse me, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Basically, what Paul is saying is, listen, you guys hear me, but you don't hear me. You guys are seeing what the Lord is doing, but you're really not seeing. Parents, if you have kids, you know this is so true. They hear you, but they don't hear you. The other day, the boys were playing a video game, and I had the older four all right in front of the TV. Like six inches from the TV. I don't get that. They're all four standing right in front of the TV. I, and I needed to tell them something. So I said, guys, and I when I did my little speech, nothing. No response in any way whatsoever. So the way we have our living room set up is one switch controls everything. So I walked over, just calmly flipped the switch, shut everything down. I said, boys, you need to listen to me when I say something. And I said, what did I tell you? Guess what all four of them did? Repeated exactly what I told them. Talk about killing your parenting point. You know, so like, what am I supposed to say? You weren't supposed to know. They hear, but they didn't really hear. Same thing happens, I hate to say this, every Sunday. People hear, I mean, they hear. You could probably say, oh, we were in Acts chapter 28. You know, we talked about this point, we talked about this point. Okay, you hear it, but do you really listen? Your heart understands it, but do you really apply it to your life? See, this is the problem. This is what Paul is saying to these guys. You guys, you hear me. I know you hear me, but you really don't hear me. I know you guys get it, but you really don't get it. This is the danger of this. Can you go with me to John 12, please? Jesus builds on this point. John 12. How many times do we hear something, but not really let it affect us and impact us like we should? Remember what Jesus said. Jesus will say, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not raise the dead in your name? And Jesus' response is, away from me, I never knew you. These people walked with the Lord, did miracles with the Lord, and they heard the teaching of the Lord, but they never let it impact them to have a real relationship with Christ. This is one of the dangers of church. 
We come, we hear, we listen. May we even underline a verse. May we even serve one Wednesday in the back. We get involved. But do we really hear what the Lord is saying? Are we allowing God's word to cut to our heart, build our faith, create a passion in Him, for, excuse me, a compassion in us for Him, and to give us a purpose? Look at the same passage here that Jesus uses, John 12, verse 37. But although He had done so many signs before them, they did not believe Him. Real quick, stop right there. Do you realize signs and wonders and miracles do not equal salvation? Never has. If we could get the whole world together and we could bring this person up in front of the, all the cameras of the world and say, okay, this is, person has been dead for days. We have ver- verified this with doctors. And now in the name of Jesus, I'm going to rise this, raise this person from the dead. It still won't impact people. We, we keep thinking, Lord, if you would just show your power to them, they would get it. They get it when their heart has been touched by the Holy Spirit. That's what they get. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Verse 38, Then the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke him. Did you catch this? Verse 37, They would not believe. So verse 39, They could not believe. Think about that. Verse 37, they would not believe. So verse 39, they could not believe. They would not believe. They hardened their hearts. And so therefore, what had happened, their eyes became blinded and their hearts became hard to the things of the Lord because they chose to go down a path of unbelief. Listen to me. It is a scary spot to be in when you are willfully choosing to not listen to the Lord. When you willfully choose to harden your heart and to blind your eyes to the things that God wants you to do, that is a scary spot to be in. These people saw it, they heard it, chose not to believe, and then down the road they couldn't believe because their heart had become so hard to the things of the Lord. Got to be careful about those things. And what happens is we see people walking with the Lord and their heart just becomes hard to the things of God. See, we have a free will choice. We can choose to believe or we can choose to reject. God will not supersede that free will. The boys the other day in devotions were just talking about salvation and people getting saved, etc. And they said, why, why can't God just make everybody believe? That's a, that's, I love that idea. It doesn't work that way because then he would have to go against our free will. And free will, I choose every day to get up what I want to do with my life. And free will, I can choose to either love my wife as Christ loved the church... Or I could despise her. In free will, I could choose to either take my boys and say, I want to grow them deeper and walk, or I could say, nah, not today. In free will, I could choose to be pure. I could choose to be immoral. In free will, I could choose to walk integrity. I could walk in perversity. In free will, I choose to do those things. In free will, I can say, Lord, I want to be on fire for you. I want to walk in faith, no matter what the word throws at me. Lord, I want to walk purposefully. Or in free will, I can say, you know what, I'll just show up go back home. God will not supersede free will. These guys in John 12, they would not believe. So God says, you've made your choice. I will not go against that. Acts 28, those guys said, we don't want to believe. Paul said, you've made your choice. We're not going to go against that. It is so frustrating for me as a pastor, when I'm doing counseling with somebody or just teaching, and you see people that hear it, and they choose not to hear it. You see people that you could give godly counsel and advice to that would change their lives, and they choose to reject it. 
I used to think, what did I do wrong? Now it's like, Lord, just speak to their heart through the Spirit. Just speak to their heart. It's between them and the Lord. I love them, I care, and my heart breaks for them. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit can speak to them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They know what to do is right. Now we just need to pray for the Spirit to speak to them. Boy, it's a tough spot to be in. Breaks your heart. Let's finish this up here in Acts 28. Verse 30, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Acts kind of ends abruptly. Like, what happens? Well, we can tell by church history and by secular history, this is what we believe happens. Paul gets off on this charge. Nothing happens. He then goes and he gets a chance to witness more. Most people believe that he actually goes into the Spain area and, and southern Europe. This is about 30 years after Christ died on the cross. Paul gets arrested again. This time gets charged again, and this time does not make it. Uh, they debate on whether he was crucified or beheaded, but anyway, most people believe he was martyred then for the faith. The reason Acts stops so abruptly is a lot of people believe that the book of Acts were actual court documents that Luke helped write to deliver to the court proceedings. And we talked about that way back in Acts chapter 1. So it stops here because the court case is still going on. But if you look at this, and you put this all together here, Paul, for another two years, in verse 30, is in this own house. And you, it sounds kind of good. He received all who comes to him. He's preaching the gospel, etc. You've got to remember, this has been going on now for about five years. Five years. And it's during this time when he's in prison that he writes the epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Keep that in the back of your mind. When you study out Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, these are the prison epistles. So what's going through Paul's mind as he's doing this? Can you go with me to Philippians, please? Philippians 1. Let's see what's going through the heart of a man as he's in this prison awaiting this trial. Philippians 1. Remember, been going on now for pushing five years. He's on trial for something. He didn't even do anything wrong. He's been shipwrecked. He's been mobs and riots have come to try to beat him. For years this has been going on. And most people believe that he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He doesn't have freedom. He's constantly in this Roman guard. People can come visit him, but he can't go visit them. Romans, excuse me, Philippians 1, verse 12. Writing this from prison, But I want you to know, brethren, that these things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What a heart and attitude. Basically, he says in verse 13, Hey, the whole guard now knows about Jesus. Because they're always chained to me every day. Oh, and guess what? Verse 14, most of the brethren have heard about what's going on, and they're actually encouraged by what's happening. So he says, the Lord is using this. As we've joked many times out here before, if I ever write you a letter from prison, it will be two words. Get out, get me out. Three words, etc. Get me out. Okay, let's try that joke again. If I ever write you a letter from prison, it will be three words. Dramatic pause. Get me out. Not doing it a third time. Um, look at the letter there. Look at the letter. He says, the Lord is using this. Okay, so the next time you have that bad medical diagnosis, the Lord wants to use that. Imagine all the doctors and nurses that you could be around. Imagine when you go in for those surgeries and prayers and people are praying openly and the people hear this. 
That's impacting the gospel. The next time you're struggling with something, Lord, how are you going to use this? He can use this. He can. It's a struggle. It's a struggle when you're in the chains. It's a struggle when you're in the prison. It's a struggle when this is not what you want. This is not what you signed up for. But the Lord can still use it. I struggled with this on the other end one time. I, uh, every now and then I'm called to go do some uh, visits and visit people in prison. And I used to be able to go to this one where I used to have this room and I could meet with them one-on-one. And it was a really great ministry. It was one-on-one in this room by ourselves. We could really pray. We could really minister and just have that connection. Well, they changed the system here in the last couple of years. And so I showed up to do this visit, and it was now through a TV screen. So we're in the same building, but I'm talking them through a TV screen. They're talking to me through a TV screen. And, you know, you got the headphones on, and you got the microphone, so you're talking. The problem is you're in a room now with all these other people. There's literally a guard, you know, two feet from you doing stuff. There's other people talking on the other TV screens. The room is full of other visits going on. And I just walked away from that just to completely discouraged, thinking, this is ridiculous. I used to have such a great ministry. We could be one-on-one. We could pray. We could talk at the scriptures. Up. And now there's this timer with this countdown. They don't give me all the time I need or want. And it just was really discouraging. So I came home, and I was kind of complaining to Dawn about it, saying, this is really just not effective. Dawn reminded me of Philippians 1, that that visit may be for everybody else. So when I went back, I tried to go back with a different mindset. Okay, that guard is now going to hear me tell this person to stay strong in the Lord. These other people are going to hear me pray with this person. These other people are going to hear the conversation where we try to bring it back towards Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'd still rather have the room one-on-one. But I try to say, okay, Lord, if I'm going to be public, then let me be public and shine for you in all that I can and all that I do. If I'm going to go through this, be whatever it is, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, Lord, let it be for you and your glory in many ways. What a great mindset that Paul has here, writing from prison. What else does he have? Stay in Philippians and go to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. This verse we all know, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's quite the verse from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. See, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't the church at Philippi be writing Paul? Saying, hang in there, rejoice. Instead, it's this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you're looking for an exemption escape clause from always, it's not in there. Think about this. I like to put myself in the Bible. Jump back in time 2,000 years ago. You're trying to earn a living. You're working at the Campbell shop. You come home from work. It's a tough day. You're complaining about your boss at the Campbell shop. And your wife says, hey, guess what? Church got a letter from Paul. We're circulating it through the houses so everybody can read it. So you sit down and you read it and you hear rejoice in the Lord always again. I was to rejoice. And you remember where he's at when he's saying that. See, the problem is we quote that verse all the time. And a lot of us don't know the full background of where he's saying that verse from. Really creates a difference. What about the next one? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Well, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Your graciousness, depending on your translation. Let me ask you this. If you've been in prison for five years for something you didn't do, awaiting trial, chained to a guard, how would your gentleness and graciousness be? Probably not very strong, would it? You'd probably convince yourself that you have the right to be bitter. You have the right to be angry because of the circumstances in your life, because of what people have done to you and how people treat you and all this other type of stuff. And you would have convinced yourself that you have a right to carry a chip on your shoulder because of all the things the world and people have thrown against you. 
No, Paul says, let your gentleness, let your graciousness, let your patience be known to all men. Then he goes on to say this, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul from prison is saying, don't worry. Don't worry about things. Don't be anxious about things. Let the peace of God rule your heart. So when you read Philippians and you hear him say, the whole palace guard now knows about Christ. It's because he's chained to a soldier every moment of his day. And he says, hey, other people are strengthened by this. Five years into something that he did not deserve. And then when he says rejoice, remember he's writing rejoice from. Where he says be gentle and loving, remember the burden he is carrying. When he says be anxious for nothing, Remember what he has hanging over his head, a possible death sentence. It really puts in perspective, really puts in perspective here, what Paul is going through in, in the book of Philippians, and as we read and finish up in Acts 28. Let's just remind ourselves here of some of these points. The first point was that the sect of Christianity has been spoken against everywhere. It still happens today. You'll be reviled, you'll be persecuted, you'll be mocked for your beliefs. But Peter says you get to experience the same sufferings of Christ, which also means you also get to experience the same blessings of Christ. Remember when Paul spoke to the Jews, he explained, he testified, he persuaded. And he used God's word. God's word cuts, builds your faith, creates a passion for him, and it gives you a purpose. But remember, take God's word out of your life. You're not cut. You're not convicted. You say things you shouldn't say. You do things you shouldn't do. Your faith starts to falter. Your passion dies out, and your purpose in life becomes extinct. That's the importance of being in God's Word. Some get it, some don't. People not receiving is not based on you. It's based on their personal choice with the Holy Spirit. It's our job to point them towards answers and prayerfully hope that they will take it and go with it. Boy, it hurts when it's a loved one. But Lord, we trust He will speak to them. Remember, some people hear but don't hear. They see but don't see. Got to be careful that we don't get to that point of knowing what the Lord has called us to do and not being obedient. That's a dangerous place to be. And lastly, from prison, Paul, rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Some powerful verses written from a man chained up to a guard for all of his life there. So this finishes our study here in Acts chapter 28, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. But remember, this chapter, this whole book means absolutely nothing unless we get out there and we do something with it. We talked earlier in our study in Acts about this idea of being a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows the teachings of Christ, and we want to follow the teachings of Christ. I want to be a disciple for the Lord. I want to make disciples for the Lord. That's that goal, is to get out there and not just know it, but to live it and create a difference in where you live and where you work, wherever you're at. And that's what we want to do. So what we're going to do here is we're going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to let you guys go then as we do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. We are thankful.